Hello, welcome to the Multitask. This is John. And normally you would hear my boy Fadi, but he is off this week dealing with uh, uh, family, and he will be back next week. We look forward to having him, and uh, I send my best wishes to him and his family. Uh, we're going to get started with this week's rundown, and I think we want to start with probably the last thing that happened during the week, and that was Donald Trump. Yes, Donald Trump went ahead and he pulled something that um, I just think is beyond uh, beyond the pale. Um, he was giving a speech on Saturday in New Hampshire, and during the speech, I'll read you the New York Times coverage of it. It says, in Veterans Day speech, Trump promises to root out the left. Root out the left. What does that mean? The former president said that threats from abroad were less concerning than liberal threats from within, and that he has a very that he was a very proud election denier. So, uh, reading from Michael Gold in the New York Times, this is what he wrote: Former President Donald Trump, on a day set aside to celebrate those who defend the United States in uniform, promised to honor veterans in part by assailing what he portrayed as America's greatest foe, the political left. Using incendiary and dehumanizing language to refer to his opponents, Mr. Trump vowed to root out what he called the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than that threat from within. Mr. Trump said on Saturday in a nearly two-hour veterans address in Claremont, New Hampshire. Now let's talk about this. I want people to think about going back to 2016 when um, Hillary Clinton talked about how Donald Trump supporters, and I'm, I don't have the exact language, so I apologize, but how Trump supporters were a basket of deplorables. Uh, and there was ample outrage. First of all, I think the outrage was overstated, overblown. Uh, Republicans, Trump supporters do a good job of throwing punches. They hate when punches are thrown at them. But nonetheless... People were in their feelings. They were butt hurt, And all she did was say deplorable. She didn't promise to uh, wreak havoc on them. She did not make threats to them. Um, she called them deplorables. And she didn't say she was going to hunt them out uh, and root out. But Donald Trump, this past Saturday, comes in and talks about the radical left talk, and dehumanizes, dehumanizes the left. And I, just so you know, I don't know if I'm radical left or not radical left. Just so you know, to in my opinion, in, in the case of most Republicans, I think anyone left is, is radical left. But that being said, refer to the radical left as vermin. Vermin. Vermin is something you hunt and pledge to root out. Given some of the things, some of the articles that have broken over the last week, some of the things that people have said over the last week, uh, or not really what they've said, but some of the articles that I've read talking about how Trump is going to run things, how he's going to search people out, how he's going to prosecute people. He had a whole list of people like John Kelly, uh, his former uh, head of um, his, uh, Mike Milley, people like that, that he was going to go after. Now he's talking about going after the left as vermin. This is dangerous language. This is dangerous language that can get somebody killed. But more importantly, it also is, how do we know these are not promises that he wouldn't carry out if he was elected? How do we know whether or not these are promises that uh, his followers would try to carry out? What you're dealing with here is a situation 
where you have a former president who is the front runner for the Republican nomination using rhetoric like this that whether he does or does not follow through can inspire and can inspire some of his followers to follow through with. Additionally, one of the things that you run into with comments like this is you have a party, a Republican party, that looks like they're standing behind him. This morning on Meet the Press, uh, Christian Welker had asked Ronna McDaniel uh, whether or not she would condemn that speech, and she dodged it. She said she doesn't want to talk about what her candidates say. But you realize that anything short of a denunciation by any Republicans, be it elected officials, leaders of the party, is an endorsement of rhetoric like that. If Donald Trump goes on to be, get, become the nominee and any Republican who supports him, you have to realize that that is an endorsement or rhetoric like that. And if he's saying things like this in November of the preceding year to the election, you can only imagine what will happen, what will be coming out of his mouth as we get closer to the election. And it's, some of this desperation has everything to do with the fact that he may very well by election day, or most, I won't say very well, but most likely be a convicted felon. So it's something that I want you guys to pay attention to. It's something I want people to dwell on. And like I say, think about 2016 and the reaction when Hillary Clinton talked about a basket full of deplorables. Another thing is, do you think if Barack Obama had ever said anything like that, uh, it would be acceptable to the right? It wouldn't, just you know, if Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Joe Biden ever said anything like that, it would not be acceptable to the left. It would not be acceptable to the left if he were to go ahead, if any of those people were to call out the right the same way that Trump just called out the left. It would be unacceptable to our side if he called any of the, well, in this case, the he would be Joe Biden, called his Republican enemies vermin and talked about rooting them out. That would be unacceptable to us. It should not be acceptable to Republicans. But this is the world we live in. This is something that we have to be very mindful of as we head into next year's elections. But it's also got to be something that we don't just let go away. We don't just let slide away. We really truly, 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 truly have to call out behavior like this. We have to call out rhetoric like this. We have to make sure that people know that if you support Republicans, especially Republicans who have not yet and probably will not likely denounce Donald Trump, this is what you're supporting. Speaking of Republicans, this past week, this past Tuesday, we had elections uh, and in um, a number of states. But uh, we're going to focus on three to four states. We'll talk about Ohio. We'll talk about Kentucky, maybe contrasted to what happened in Mississippi, and then we'll close on talking about Virginia. But this past Tuesday was a very important day for Democrats, and I want you to think about Democrats, the left. I want you to think about leading up to it. Uh, Joe Biden had gotten some really bad polling news, polling news which I actually fully, truly think is, uh, I don't want to say manufactured, but kind of manipulated kind of manipulative. Um, as we all know, polling uh, a year out uh, is not necessarily valid, especially when you're doing all this generic stuff. Um, and I think once people realize, and unfortunately, 
I know people who listen to this pod are more engaged, but the general public is not engaged. And once they realize that it's most likely going to be a binary between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, I think uh, Joe Biden's fate changes. And also, a lot of polling said that if Donald Trump is convicted, Joe Biden, you know, wins walking away. But that being said, we kept we started the week out last week with doom and gloom. We started the week out with really tough, bad news. But one of the things that we now uh, know is the policies in the case of Ohio and the candidates in the case of Kentucky and Virginia, uh, people are supporting Democrats and progressive policies. And we start with what happened on Tuesday in Ohio, where a significant number of people, uh, the overwhelming majority of people, voted to um, basically support abortion. Um, Essentially, and I'll just go with the first line uh, from an MSNBC piece. It says, uh, after Ohioans voted Tuesday to enshrine access to abortion care in their state constitution, more than a third of the Republican caucus in the House House of Representatives issued a joint statement essentially vowing to keep up their fight to restrict abortion. These are losers who are going to be keeping up the fight, but more importantly, let's talk about what just happened. So Ohio is considered to be a red state. Some people think it's purple. I think it might be purple because, first of all, I spent four years of my life, granted over 30 years ago, in Ohio as a student at the University of Dayton. But in addition to that, um, I would pay attention. And when you think about the metropolitan areas of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, you have a significant number of Democratic um, legislators, um, mayors, county board people, etc., uh, but in addition to that, even though you've had a Republican governor for ages, uh, the Republicans have consistently won the state in the presidential races, you do have a split when it comes to their, their two senators. The One seat has always been Republican, and one seat in recent years has uh, consistently been Democrat, and that's um, uh, Sherrod Brown. And so when you think about some of the dynamics, and when you think about the large... Uh, African-American population, especially in some of the metropolitan areas, you feel that Ohio might be gettable, and I think that's why, even though there's been losing causes in uh, a lot of presidential races in recent years, um, I don't think we should ever give up on Ohio because maybe things will turn, and I think what happened on Tuesday is a sign of that. So despite a Republican governor, despite at least uh, a Republican legislature, the voters in Ohio voted to support a woman's right to choose and to enshrine it in the Constitution. That has got to be a good sign for Democrats. We don't want to overstate why it's good for Democrats, but it has also got to be concerning to Republicans, and it's something where we need to keep the pressure up. Now, I see a little bit of opportunity when we get the news that just came out in the past week in the aftermath that the Republicans are going to be trying some types of procedures and maneuvers to really fight what the people voted for. Uh, First and foremost, let's be honest, I think that when it comes to certain policies, we always have to advance them for the right reasons, not for political reasons. But in addition to that, there is some type of political upside. And while I hope 
that the Republicans do not block uh, abortion access as as an, as uh, was voted in on Tuesday. I also think that the Democrats need to utilize the maneuvers that the Republicans may be employing to fight, push back, um, resist what happened on Tuesday, and use that against Republicans in 24. Because what, what the, the simple message is this, is that you, the people of Ohio, voted to enshrine a woman's right to choose in um, in our Constitution, our Constitution being Ohio, yet the Republicans in Columbus turn around and are employing extraordinary means by which to resist that. The Re Republicans in Columbus are employing extraordinary means to resist the will of the people. That is something that Democrats can run on in the state of Ohio in 24. Now, one of the other things that happened was that the Democrats, not just the Democrats, but people in Ohio, um, put forth an amendment to also legalize uh, recreational cannabis. And sure enough, that one as well. Now, what we're hearing is that a number of states, like Arizona, maybe Florida, um, and a, a few others, may actually go ahead and follow suit in what they did in Ohio and put some progressive measures, some, some progressive ballot measures, uh, referendums on their ballot, and that's going into 24. And there's twofold. One, you might be able to make a difference from a policy perspective. You might be able to enshrine abortion into the Constitution of those various states. But the other thing you're going to be doing is you're going to be motivating people and giving them a reason to go out and vote. People who might not be that motivated to vote, people who and, and, and the people that we're talking about are people who are more likely to support a woman's right to choose. And those people might end up supporting Democratic candidates. And in the, some states, we might go ahead and put forth a, a ballot measure, again, with cannabis. Again, the people who are more likely to support uh, legal cannabis may be more likely to vote for Democrats. Now, this works. And I, and I remember going back to 2004, uh, one of the things that was really big was the whole issue of gay marriage, or as we call it now, marriage equity. And you had a significant number of uh, Republican states put measures on banning gay marriage. And the Democrats, and I've, I'll never forgive the Democrats for this, kind of stood down on that. But what that did was that motivated people to go out and vote and vote against gay marriage. And by voting against gay marriage, you also went ahead and drew out people who were more likely to vote Republican. And George Bush, maybe he might have won anyways, but that kind of sealed his victory. So if you think of the, now fast forward to 2024, 20 years later, you can essentially, the Democrats can use that exact same tactic using some of the same ballot measures that were used in Ohio. And like I said, even though Republicans in Ohio would be smart to put it behind them, they're not. They're gonna insist on resisting this. That means that the Democrats in Ohio now have the ability to go ahead and call out the Republicans who are still going ahead and fighting and resisting what the people voted for. Now we're gonna fast forward, or not fast forward, move across the river and go down to Kentucky where Andy Brashear went ahead and beat Daniel Cameron for governor. Now, just so you know, uh, Andy Brashear is a Democrat and he uh, was the incumbent 
and he beat Daniel Cameron, uh, the African-American Republican who happens to be married to a relative of Mitch McConnell's. The Daniel Cameron, and just so you know, and I say this as an African-American, a lot of times Republicans put forth African-Americans who might appeal to white folks, but they don't appeal to black folks. And one of the things that may have really undermined Daniel Cameron, despite some of the advantages he might have brought in by being a black Republican, was the fact that he's also known by many, uh, especially in places like Louisville, as the man who dropped the ball in the Breonna Taylor investigation. So, uh, Andy Bashir came in, and he kind of whooped him. Andy Bashir came in and whooped him. And this is a red state. Kentucky is a red state. And Andy Bashir didn't run away from some of the Democratic issues. He supports abortion. He supports women rights, women's right to choose. Um, and he's he's not necessarily progressive progressive on a lot of these issues. But he's also but but he's more than he's not a Joe Manchin Democrat. And he was successful. He was successful, and he won. And I know that one of the ads that many people credit with Bashir's victory is an ad that was actually done that actually um, comes out in support of a woman's right to choose. So I will tell you um, what happened in Kentucky was amazing. Uh, it's, a, it's another good sign. Now let's, I don't, you know, going back, whether it's Ohio or Kentucky, um, you may have a situation where just because things went the way they went on Tuesday, that doesn't mean the Democrats win those states, because those are both red states in 2024. But it also makes it hard to ignore what goes on in those states. So it'll be very fascinating, very interesting to see how things play. Now, one little bit of trivia, uh, superstition, something that people may um, uh, want to, especially people on the left, Democrats may want to pay attention to, something to get excited about, is the fact that Traditionally, the person who wins the state of Kentucky, or the, the party that wins the state of Kentucky, for the, when it comes to the governor's mansion, usually wins the presidency the following year. So I don't know if, if that, if that uh, trend is going to stay in effect in 24, but that's something to be excited about. Now, one of the things that... Um, uh, a lot of people drew a contrast to was the results in Mississippi. Uh, the, the results of Mississippi had uh, Democrat Brandon Presley, who is a cousin of Elvis Presley's, um, challenging incumbent governor, Republican governor, uh, Tate Reeves. This was probably one of the better performances for Democrats in the state of Mississippi. I think he came within four points. But more importantly, you had a situation where Democrats were energized. Democrats actually believed they had a shot at it. It ended up coming up short, um, but it was, I think, encouraging to anybody who pays attention to what goes on in the South, how things work in the South. And, um, you know, we have to be excited. We have to be um, excited to see people are mobilizing. Now, one of the things, and I'm not sure if anything will come of it, is you do know that in the state's largest county, uh, which has a significant, which probably has probably the most significant black population in the state. Uh, a number of the black precincts ran out of uh, ballots. Now that's one potentially encouraging because you have a lot of people who weren't traditionally voting voting, 
but it's also concerning, right? Because you have a situation where black people show up to vote, black people show up to support the Democrats, and then all of a sudden they run out of ballots. The, the last thing that a lot of people paid attention to this past Tuesday were the results out of Virginia. And you actually had uh, Glenn Youngkin, the governor, uh, the Republican governor, really spend a lot of his own personal wealth uh, to do what he can to really get the Republican uh, candidates in both the House of Delegates and the State Senate, uh, you know, make them victorious. And he was going to go ahead and take some moves and make some moves on the issue of abortion that really were concerning to a lot of people. Well, the voters of Virginia went ahead and handed the Democrats both uh, chambers of the Virginia legislature. Uh, and it was the issue of abortion that that drove it, that drove that drove it there. So, you know, Glenn, Glenn Youngkin, who had been mentioned as a potential Trump replacement if Trump, you know, came up short in 2024 uh, or had to pull, I mean, not came up short as far as losing, but came up to a situation where he had to drop out. People were thinking about Youngkin. Well, one of the things that came out during the week was that Youngkin is definitely not running for president in 2024. So it, it was it was a fascinating week when it came to these results. I think Democrats have to be encouraged. Um, do not read too much into them and that, oh, it's going to be a piece of cake. No, we have to work. We have to work like we're two points behind. We have to work, 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 work. I mean, it's going to be insane. But I also think that people should be encouraged. Now, um, one of the things that came out as the week rent uh, wore down was the fact that uh, Senator Joe Manchin announced that he would not run for re-election in West Virginia. Uh, there was a belief that even if he had run, he probably would lose uh, to the current governor who's going to be running on the Republican side. I think his name is Justice. Uh, there's also people who believed that um, they wanted, you know, the Democrats put a lot of effort to try to get him to run again. But I saw something that I thought was fascinating. There was some speculation that um, as long as we can keep him out of the presidential race, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, uh, this may actually be good for Democrats because um, we might just go ahead and take a knee on the results in West Virginia and not spend a lot of money, not invest a lot of money, but that frees up money to maybe hold on to uh, some some seats that we could also lose, especially in Ohio, um, I think Pennsylvania. Uh, and I don't know if there's any pickups, you know, you know, where, where might we be able to get a pickup? Who knows? But when it comes to protecting the seat in Arizona, when it comes to protecting the seat, uh, in Ohio, uh, that frees up some money for us. And maybe that might be really, really, really important and may make a difference. So we'll, we'll pay attention to that. But, you know, um, there's some concern that Joe Manchin will run for president, maybe with, uh, no labels. Um, I think right now, though, a mansion candidacy might actually hurt uh, Republicans more than it would hurt Democrats. Um, and I, and I, again, I think when we get closer to that binary, and and it will be a binary. Look, even if there's other candidates, even if there's third party candidates, most people know that it's either going to be the Democrat or the or the Republican. Third parties never win, and. Uh, realistically, when it comes down to that binary, the most that a third party is going to do is be a spoiler. 
and I know we've got Jill Stein out there. I know we've got Cornell West out there. I know that we have Robert Kennedy Jr. out there. But Stein and West are kind of fishing on the same pond, but they're also vying for, they're both vying for the Green Party nomination. So that means one of them is not going to, only one of them will, will actually be on the ballot if they, you know, if, if they carry it out. But all studies have shown that RFK right now is hurting Trump. And I would assume that the No Labels Party candidate hurts Trump. So I want to discourage that No Labels piece. And something that someone said today that I thought was very fascinating is they think another reason why uh, Joe Manchin might not run is he doesn't want to go out as a loser. Um, and that's something to really consider. But uh, we are getting down to it. We're getting to a point in time where people will be paying attention to the races. Um, you know, we're... we're and I'm not going to spend. I'm not going to really talk about the Republican debate from this past week, but it was very fascinating. But we're a couple of months away, maybe, you know, less than two months, or a little over two months away from the uh, Iowa caucuses, and then on to New Hampshire. And so it'll be very fascinating to see how the Republican field shakes out. If, despite all of his legal troubles, Donald Trump continues to win, uh, continues to uh, march towards the nomination. Uh, and I think by, you know, obviously this time next year, we'll know because it'll be after the election, but I think we will know what this race is going to look like by May. Now, the question will be is if Donald Trump secures a nomination, but suffers a few convictions, will there be an energy in the Republican party for him to step aside? Understand that he would have to step aside or run. They can't just get rid of him. And I don't. He has not yet shown any kind of acting in the best interest of the party he belongs to. So it'll be fascinating to see uh, with if Donald Trump secures the nominations, uh, and if and as we expect, he'll have at least one or two convictions by then. Um, would he actually go so far as to drop out? He could actually run for president from jail. I don't know if he'll be locked up. I think he should be locked up if he's convicted, but I don't know if he'll be locked up. But um, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. So the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, as we wind down this week's pod is we are less than five days away from um, a new government funding bill, spending bill, appropriation bill. Um I mean, the last time we went through this, when Kevin McCarthy was still speaker, and this was the thing that actually ended up costing Kevin McCarthy a speakership, um, there was they they cut a last minute deal. And that last minute deal basically funded the government through November seventeenth. Well, when this pod drops on Monday, uh, it will be actually November thirteenth. That means it'll be four days, and the Republicans on Saturday unveiled their um, newest. Uh, bill that is uh, a continue, you know, it'll most likely be a continuing resolution, but it also would be a ladder, something no people have ever heard of, where this would stop being funded by these dates, and then these would stop being funded by these dates. Um, we're told that the Demo- that the not just the Democrats, but the Republicans and the Democrats in the Senate have said the bill's dead on arrival. If it passes the House, the White House would definitely veto it, but it's not going to get even to the White House, because it would not pass the Senate. Um, would you have a situation where uh, Mike Johnson is going to have to rely on Democratic votes? 
uh, and the bill as is right now provides no funding for Ukraine, no funding for Israel. That's a non-starter for a lot of people. Uh, and there are some people on the right who are definitely opposed to the bill because what it does, what it also doesn't do is it doesn't have any cuts in it. So the chiproids of the world and some of these other people are saying, Hey, don't support this bill. Don't support, do whatever you do. Don't support this bill. So it'll be fascinating to see what will happen. Um, if I doubt what was introduced by Republicans on Saturday is ultimately what passes. Um, there has been some talk that you might even have a scenario in which the Senate passes the bill first. Traditionally with spending bills, the spending bills oftentimes start in the House. But in this particular case, it may start in the Senate. And the Senate may pass something and put it to the House, and then the House will go up or down on whether or not they can support it. Um, it will be fascinating to see if the 17th, this is resolved, or if it, if, it, if it carries through. There are some people who feel that Mike Johnson has a little bit more rope than Kevin McCarthy for no, for the mere fact that Kevin McCarthy was just recently removed, and <coughs> there's a belief that the Republicans might not have the stomach or the appetite to um, to uh, to do that again, to go ahead and remove one of their speakers. So buckle your seatbelt, fasten your seatbelts. Uh, it's going to be an interesting week. So um, it's been fun. Uh, talking to you guys for a week, you know, uh, talking to you guys this week. Um, Fadi will be back with us next week. Um, it'll be an interesting uh, series of events that happen by the next time we get together. But uh, for now, this is John signing off, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Oh.